need to know exactly what God has said. You need to know. You've got to grab hold of this because if you don't know what God has said, then the enemy can lie to you. He can steal from you. He can take everything from you. The Lord said that he wished that I prosper even as my soul prospered. The Lord said that by his stripes I am healed. Did God actually say those things? Did God actually say those things? Yes, he did. Life throws so much at us that it's impossible to know what's coming next at all times. As a result, it can be very easy to lose your peace, lose your joy, and even lose your way. Only our faith can sustain us through difficult times, and only when we know what God actually says can we sustain our faith. In today's message, Pastor Eddie Mason outlines four stages of faith and how each one affects our daily lives. I want to start with you this morning. I want to talk to you about the four stages of faith. The four stages of faith, the way God has revealed it to me, is doubt, which is unbelief shrouded with fear. Well, doubt isn't faith. Yeah, that's where you start. You start in faith in a place of doubt. It's when we doubt, we doubt God, we doubt, his, we doubt some of the things that He does, we doubt if He's going to fix us up, we doubt if He's going to heal us, we doubt if that's for us, we doubt. And we can either choose to stay in doubt and fear or we can move ahead. And from doubt we go into hope. And in hope we know it's possible. And how do you know it's possible? Because you've heard and you've seen and you've understood. And so we move from hope knowing it's possible to wishing it would happen. How many of you are begging God to do something right now? Amen. And God's saying, don't beg me. That's where we fall into. Listen, I know I beg God all the time. I beg God continually. And God said, I don't want you to beg me. I want you to talk to me. You know, when I go to my daddy, I don't beg often. Every once in a while I'll beg, but not often. And so, you know, I want, to, I want to go into this place of just wishing it would happen. But I move, from, I move from, from hope, knowing that it can happen, and hoping that it'll happen, into believing that it's going to happen. But notice that word believing. Every time I say I'm believing God, I'm believing God, that's an, that's an action word that said I hadn't yet reached belief. I'm trying, I'm giving it everything I've got, I'm giving it mental assent, but most times that's where we stop is with mental assent. Am I making sense to you? Okay, and so we say, okay, God's Word says, so it must be true. God's Word says, but it must be true. But we still got some of that doubt lingering on, don't we? It's like God, when He went to that man and, and He said, if you only believe, He said, do you believe? And the man said, yeah, I believe, help my unbelief. Uh, he's somewhere between believing and doubting, and he's hoping, he's wishing that it wasn't in that place. Jesus, in his compassion, healed him anyway, healed anyway. And so we find ourselves many times in this thing. But then we got to go from believing to knowing. Daddy won't tell you what he said, but in John, where he said in that scripture, says, he said, if he hears you, what? You know. Turn to your neighbor and say, no. There's a difference between believing and knowing. And it's at the point of knowing that faith is released. Am I making sense? Are you hearing what I'm saying? All right, let me, let me just bring it to you this way then. Um, in John eleven twenty six, 26, 
It says, he says, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? How many of you believe this? How many of you are going to wait till you die to see if it's true? How many of you are just hoping that it's true? How many of you know beyond a shadow of a doubt this is true? Amen. Amen. Then there should be no fear of death on you. Okay, if you know this beyond a shadow of a doubt, then there should be no fear of death anywhere in your life. Okay, and so what the enemy has now lost his power over you the very minute that you know what you know what you know. Let me give you a, a great example. When you get a little bit older, these people like to steal from you. The, these people call you up on the phone and they'll tell you, I'm with the IRS. And the, the IRS just strikes fear in the heart of the majority of Americans. Me, I've gotten to know them over the years because I never paid regular taxes, so every year for almost 20 years I got to go talk to them. And so I got to know the IRS pretty good. And so he said, you owe such and such amount of dollars. And it was pretty close to what I owed. I thought, okay. And he said, and you need to make arrangements because we're going to put you in jail. I said, uh-oh, you a liar. You can't put me in jail for not paying my taxes. He overstepped his bound. I said, I said, I don't know who you are, but you're not the IRS. And he insisted that he was the IRS. You know what? I knew he wasn't the IRS. I knew that I knew that I knew, and no matter what he told me, no matter what he could say, no matter how bad he tried to frighten me, he couldn't do it. You know why he couldn't? Because I knew what I knew. And so if I know these things to be true, I'll, I'll tell you, I took it one step further. I had one call me up one time, and, and he was pretty well informed on things, and he was giving me all this stuff. And uh, I finally I told him, I said, I said you're a thief and a liar. Woo! Made him mad. He hung up on me. I called him back. Let me tell you what we ought to be doing to the devil. We ought to be calling him back and taunting that sucker. Let me tell you what the God, word of God says. Instead, I called him back. I said, hey, thief and liar. He said, I hate you. I said, you don't even know me. How can you hate me? He hangs up again. I call him back. I say, if you can call me and interrupt my day, I'm going to call you and interrupt you that your day. He said, I'm going to kill you. I said, you don't know where to find me. He goes on and starts cussing, and finally I'd had enough fun with him, I let him go. They say that the average person pays them over $5,000. They get stolen from because they don't know. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need to know. You need to know, you need to know exactly what God has said. You need to know. You've got to grab hold of this because if you don't know what God has said, then the enemy can lie to you. He can steal from you. He can take everything from you. Remember John 10, 10 says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And if you allow it, turn to your neighbor and say, if you allow it, he'll steal from you. He'll steal your peace. He'll steal your joy. He'll steal your money. He'll steal your help. He will do everything he can to destroy you as long as you're in cooperation with him and you're not telling him the truth. 
You need to be telling him just like I told that IRS guy, you've overstepped your bounds right now. Because the Lord said that He came that I might have life and that I might have it more abundantly. The Lord said that He wished that I prosper even as my soul prospers. The Lord said that by His stripes I am healed. Did God actually say those things? Oh, three of you believe it anyway. Did God actually say those things? Yes, He did. He actually said those things. Now notice this. When Eve responded to Adam, she said what God had said, and then he tempted her beyond that. What happens to us is we know what God says, but then we get tempted. You know who, you know who tempts us? Well-meaning people. Give you an example. My my mother-in-law is at home, and she's been vacillating in and out of a lot of fear. They've told her that she has cancer in her lung. They haven't done a biopsy. They haven't done a PET scan. The blood work doesn't show cancer. How are they going to tell her she's got cancer? Their most educated guess is that there's probably cancer in that lung. So this is what my mother-in-law tells me. She says, call my niece, call, call your niece, Lisa, and tell her the truth. Tell her that I got cancer. I said, I can't do that, Mom. She said, why can't you do that? I said, because that's not the truth. She said, well, that's what the doctor said. I said, no, that's what the doctor believes. I don't believe that. The doctor doesn't know anything because the doctor hasn't run the test that will confirm what he thinks is happening. Now I'm going to tell you something. If I'm going to go along with what a doctor thinks and what God says, I'm going to go with what God says every time. Amen? Amen. So I want to know what God actually said. I am not interested in what he thinks. He's a man. So what I want to do though, I want to learn how to progress from doubt to knowing. Because we've done a good job of getting ourselves to believing. And man, we do all kind of confessions. I've been doing them for the last three or four weeks with you, saying I am who God said I am, and I can do what God said I can do. The trouble is we're trying to believe that. We don't know that. So you've got to know that. Well, Eddie, but I messed up. God didn't make, you, didn't make you who you are based on what you will do. He did it based on what Jesus did on our behalf, Okay. And so if he did it based on what Jesus did, do you think Jesus said, I'm with, I'm, he's so bad, I'm going to withdraw my blood from him. I'm just not going to have anything to do with him. And so we need to understand how to move from doubt to hope to believing to knowing. And so we want to move in these things. Look what, what did God actually say. He says in Mark, in Mark 9, 23, and Jesus said, if you can, turn to your neighbor and say, if you can, Say it again, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Let me change that word to one who knows. All things are possible. Let me just take it to a, to a, a natural level. Herman was talking about, I can't even remember the actor's name right now, but he said his, his favorite role with this actor was the Dick Tracy movie. Any of y'all remember Dick Tracy? Warren Beatty, okay. And he says, in the, in the uh, movie, he says, you remember that this is, this, is, this is 
imagination. It's not real. He's talking on his phone and he's looking at somebody on his phone. How many of you know that when I was born in the 1950s, Dick Tracy was around and he was talking into that watch in 1950. The smart watch had not yet even been thought about at that point in time. Amen? All right. Now, how many of you know now, hey, have you got a smart watch on? How about just raise your smart watch up? Look here. People are playing Dick Tracy and didn't even know it. Amen? Just acting like Dick Tracy. Why? Because a man believed that he could reduce that thing down to the size of a watch, and once he got it to the size of a watch, he could do what he'd seen on Dick Tracy. That was just birthed out of a man's mind. And so the Bible says, all things are possible to him who believes, who knows that it can be done. If you can. He puts a, puts a question mark, doesn't he? Because what he's saying is many of you won't believe what God said. You're going to take your word, your suspicion, you're going to take the word of a doctor, a lawyer, or an Indian chief over what God has said. Let me go on. Let me ask you the question. How, is it written in red up there? I can't see it. Is it written in red? Okay, in my Bible it's written in red. Anybody know what that means? Jesus said it. Jesus is who? He's God, right? So did God actually say that all things were possible? Did he actually say? Yeah, he did. In Matthew, uh, I mean in Romans 3, 4, look what he said. Oh, wait, let me go back to Matthew 19, 26. But Jesus looked at them. He was talking about rich man entering into heaven. And he said in Matthew 19, 26, but Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. So he didn't just say it once. We know of at least two times that he said that, don't we? Turn to your neighbor and say, all things are possible. If I can believe. Oh my. Oh my. You know what that means? That means Haiti can be turned upside down on its ear and become a prosperous, God-fearing nation because one man would dare to believe that God and know that God is going to transform that nation. And how does he know that? Because God said it belonged to him. Come on. We've got to grab hold of it. In Romans 3, 4, questioning God. Are we questioning God? And Paul says, God forbid, yea, let God be found true, but every man a liar. God's word is true, and anything that contradicts his word is a lie. Oh, my. Well, that's not my experience. You know, my experience, I'm not going to say what I was thinking about saying right then, but you can just take your experience and kick it to the side, okay? Yeah, you can use your imaginations. God's Word is the truth. If, it's not, if I'm not experiencing it because I am believing the lie over the truth. 
God said that, Jesus said that he would give me peace that passed all understanding. If I'm not walking in that peace, then something else is lying to me and I'm basing how I feel on, on the lie, not on the truth of God's word. Am I, am I making sense to y'all this morning? I'm going to share with you what kind of stirred this up inside of me. In John 6, 28, we've been studying the book of John on Friday nights. Just read with me just a little bit, if you will. Because I want to talk to you about the four stages of faith, how we get from doubt to knowing. Then they said to Jesus, what must we do to be doing the works of God? How many of you want to do the works of God? He says, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. And if you will allow me the transition to say that you know, that you know Jesus is the one that he sent. And the reason I'm using that word know is because for us that's a better, that gives us a better understanding uh, of what Jesus was saying than when they translated it. Because we want to know. How many of you know that you know that you know no matter what anybody says that Jesus, that Jesus' blood was shed for you? Amen. How many of you know you've been forgiven? Amen. Okay. And we know that. We don't just believe that. We know that. And so if we know that, then we need to live in accordance with that. So he said, this is the work of God that you believe, that you know him whom he has sent. Then John 6, 51, he goes on. Jesus said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Woo! He stirred some Jews up. Cannibalism was strictly against God's Word. Amen? And so now they're going, what do you mean you're going to eat the flesh? He, Jesus is trying to move them from the carnal into the realm of the kingdom, into the spiritual, and they can't get outside the carnal. Can I tell you, most of the church is stuck in carnality and will not move into the realm of the spirit and will not enter into the kingdom of God. And because they're in carnality, they say that the laws of the universe dictate the things that will happen in the universe. And Jesus is saying, no, the Holy Spirit can dictate what happens in the universe. But you've got to move from one into the other before you're going to see that. He said, we've got to have a renewed mind. We've got to understand what God is saying and grab hold of it. Then the Jews disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Ugh. Whoever feeds on my flesh, turn to your neighbor and say, feeds on my flesh. Say it again, feeds on my flesh. The reason I said that is, you know, some of us, we, we, we've eaten from the table. How many of you have eaten today? Okay. How many of you going to eat again? How many of you might just eat tomorrow too if you're still around? How many of you might eat the next day? You know what that means? You're feeding. And somehow we've translated this to say, if you pray this little prayer, God forgive me of my sins, that I'm going to go to heaven. That's not what he said. He says, if you feed on me. Ooh. That's a little stronger, isn't it? He said, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. So he's called us to feed on him. 
For my flesh is true food and my body is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds, there he goes a second time. You see, when he says it twice, it becomes more important. He said, there, he said whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. Uh, Father, so whoever feeds on me, 57, whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. Huh. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. So whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Whoever feeds, whoever feeds, whoever feeds, whoever feeds. Can I tell you, it's feeding on the body of Christ that moves us from doubt to knowing. It moves us through the four stages of faith. And so he says, we begin, as we begin to take sustenance from him, you know, it, it begins to change how we look, how we act, how we think, and how we pray. It's just like honey buns. Do you believe that honey buns have affected the way I look? No, don't lie, you're in church. Joni keeps telling me that Diet Cokes are going to affect the way I think, but I don't know whether that's true or not. But anyway, what I eat affects my health. It affects my body. And if it affects my body, then it affects my soul, and it affects my spirit. So from a carnal standpoint, what, watching what I'm eating makes, makes a whole lot of sense in the natural. In the spiritual, the same is true. And so we have to ask ourselves the question, what are we eating the most from? Maybe I didn't ask that right. Are we, are we partaking more of the flesh of Jesus or the carnality of the world? Are we satisfied by the presence of Jesus or are we more satisfied by the things of the world? Is our appetite met by the things of Jesus or is our appetite only met by the things of the world? Let me, let me share with you just a little bit. Just confession, it's good for the soul, right? I like food, just in case anybody here didn't know that. I don't cuss, I don't drink, I don't smoke. You know, so I excuse myself. No, I really don't. But I do like to eat. I love food. I watch Iron Chef America. I watch Beat Bobby Flay. I'm started studying his restaurants. I want to go to one of his restaurants. I watch Chop. I watch the Cupcake Wars. <laughs> I watch diners, dives, and drive-ins. Y'all are looking at me like y'all are so holy. I don't do any of that. Nah, you just go watch all that filth, okay? I either watch sports or food, one of the two, amen? I like those two channels, sports and food. 
What I'm telling you is I enjoy food. I enjoy experimenting with food. I enjoy, I've started enjoying cooking food. I just enjoy that stuff, and so I study that stuff. Now you've got to ask yourself the question, do you study food more than you study Jesus? Do you watch more on television than you put into the Word of God or hearing His Word? Hmm. Turn to your neighbor and say, I wish I hadn't come now. I'm down to eating one meal a day. Starts at 5 o'clock, ends at 11. I believe, in, I believe in eating, feeding. But he's saying don't feed on the things of this world. He said feed on me. Let me go on. I think you got the point. John 6, 60, when many of his disciples, turn to your neighbor and say disciples, and we're not talking about the apostles now, we're talking about people that follow him, heard it, they said, this is a hard saying, who can listen to it? He's saying, that whole idea about you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood, man, that's hard. That's too hard. He said, who, who can even listen to this? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? In John 6, 64, he says, But there are some of you who do not believe. Whew. Wait now, let me get this straight. We're not talking about the crowd. Because you see, just a few verses earlier, he had fed 5,000 with a couple of fishes and a few loaves. We're not talking about all the miraculous things that they had witnessed and that they had seen and that they had done. We're, we're, we're talking about, now we're talking about a time when disciples, the crowd had long since departed, but men that had chosen to follow Jesus, who had watched him, who had heard him teach in the synagogues, who had partaken in the things that Jesus had partaken of, they now are offended because something that Jesus said was hard. And they were only looking at it from the carnal perspective. They never reached into the realm of the Spirit to find out what he was really talking about. And so he said there were many who did not believe. They hoped he was the Messiah. But there was still a lot of doubt that was going. Some of them wanted to believe that he was Messiah, but they couldn't push beyond where they were in the natural. They kept vacillating back and forth. They were hoping that this was going to be the one. But in their carnality, when he began to push them into the realm of the kingdom, they said, ah, we don't want any part of this. There's too many in the church today that when the, when the, when the things start getting hard, they go, no, we don't want this. We want to go hide out. We want to be entertained. We're not looking to be challenged in who we are. What we're doing is we're looking for a place so we can feel better about who we are, not what God is all about. You know, we want to go to a place where, where people are not challenged to live holy lives. We want to go to a place where people are not challenged to believe what God says. We just want to do what we want to do, how we want to do it, and we just want God to take us to heaven when we die. 
We have bought into a lie that that's what it's all about. That's not what He sent us here for. He sent us here, He brought us here, to he gave us His Spirit so that we could preach the Gospel. Well, I'm not a preacher. Then preach the Gospel to your dog. Preach the Gospel to your neighbor. Preach the Gospel to your children. Preach the Gospel wherever you go. Because you see, that's what He did. He said, go out and heal the sick. But first He said, preach the Gospel. Bring the good news of Jesus Christ. You better let people know that there's a judgment coming. And if they don't know Jesus Christ, they're going to die and they're going to go to hell. You better preach the Gospel. And you better not have any doubt that He's the Messiah in your heart when you do. Because if you do, you'll get exposed. Because the people will ask you questions you can't answer. And they'll begin to rattle your faith. And you'll begin to take offense just like these disciples began to take offense. And the Bible says, if you're going to leave, just leave. You know what Jesus says to the church today? If you want to leave, leave. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was that would betray Him. After this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. This word disciple, a disciple is someone who adheres to the teachings of another. It's a follower, it's a learner. It refers to someone who takes up the ways of someone else. A disciple is someone who learned from Jesus to live like Him. Someone who because of God's awakening grace conforms His or her words and ways to the words and the ways of Jesus. And so we're talking about men that had chosen to follow Jesus. Men, many of them that had given up their way of life. They, they were no longer doing what they were doing. They were following Him. But they were doing it in much the same way that they had been following after rabbis. And they knew he was a prophet, and he knew he had power from on heaven, and he knew there were a lot of things, they knew there were a lot of things about him, but they did not yet fully understand that he was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God. They didn't have that deep down in their hearts, and because they didn't have that deep down in their hearts, the first time they were challenged, they walked away. That same thing happens with Christians. When we get challenged, we begin to walk away from Jesus, and we begin to turn back to the things of the world. I want you to notice the stumbling block. Until Jesus asked them to eat His flesh and drink His blood, there doesn't seem to be a problem. Jesus is now exposing their, their doubt and their carnality. If, if, a, if Jesus loves you, how I many you believe Jesus loves you? Then He's going to expose your doubt and your carnality. And you will either be offended or you'll be humbled. You'll either change or you'll walk away. You hear what I'm saying? Well, Eddie, I thought you were going to talk to me about going from doubt to knowing. I'm talking to you about going from doubt to knowing. It all begins right here. Because if you don't know that He's the Messiah, if you don't know what He tells us to do, then you won't do it. Not only did He command them, but He commanded all of us to feed on His flesh. I love when we partake of the elements. But you know, we only do that every so often. In the Anglican church, I think y'all do it every Sunday, don't you? 
But I want you to know between Sunday and Sunday I get hungry. That's not enough. Once a week, twice a week. It's a powerful, powerful tool. But he's telling us to feed on his flesh. So how do you, how do you eat the flesh of Jesus? How do you eat the flesh of Jesus? I'm going to close right here in just a minute. John 1.14 said, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. What became flesh? Well, if the Word is flesh, then why wouldn't consuming the Word be consuming the flesh of Jesus Christ? Oh, it is. If you're not consuming the Word, you see, this is part of your consumption right here. I'm the cherry on top. Well, some of you didn't like that. Okay. He's saying you've got to consume it. As I told you before, when I, when, when, I eat, when I eat those honey buns, they become part of who I am. When I begin to eat on God's Word, it becomes part of who I am. And all of a sudden, I'm moving from doubt to a place of hope. Huh? Well... I'm going to look and see what God's Word starts saying. And I'm going to start eating and consuming God's Word until I think like God thinks. We already think God thinks like we do. He doesn't. Take this in the, in the best way possible. Compared to God, you're an idiot. And so, you know, so we're going to consume this word, and we're going to make it a part of our life, and we're going to eat on it, and 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 eat on it, until we just can't get enough of it. Man, we're just going to keep on, and our hunger for it is going to increase because the word tells us the truth, and the truth creates hope, and the hope sets us on that cycle of believing. We read it enough times, and we say it enough times, and the next thing you know, we've moved from hope to believing. And if we say it enough times, then we're going to move, and we give it inside our heart, then we're going to move from believing to knowing. You see, as long as you have it up here, you don't know it. It's only when it moves from here to here that you have it. Richard Roberts one time made this statement. He said he was talking to the Lord about, about changing his heart. And God said, I'm not going to change your heart. He said, this is what he said. He said, if you will change the way you think, then I will change your heart. And say that again. If you change the way you think, then I'm going to change your heart. So if your first confession is this is what the doctor says, it's not been transformed yet. No, no condemnation. Okay, I'm not, I'm not condemning you. I'm just telling you that that's where our heart is. This is what my doctor says. Most of us have more confidence in our doctor than we do in Jesus. How many of you have ever had to go to the doctor more than one time because he couldn't take care of you the first time? Listen, we go to Jesus and he doesn't take care of us the first time and we X him off the list and go somewhere else. And so he says, consume my word. And then he says, 
drink my blood. Boy, that sounds gory, doesn't it? Unless you go back to what the Word says. The Word says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And so he says, I want you to drink of the cup of forgiveness. Too many people are trying to know and to believe and to know God's Word and to put it into effect without partaking of forgiveness. Not for themselves, but for others. They walk with offense and unforgiveness in their heart and they can't understand why God does not respond the way His Word says. And He said, except you eat my flesh and drink my cup, you have no part of me. This is what the woman in the well said. I mean, not the woman in the well, the woman with the issue of blood. The woman with the issue of blood, she said, but if I may just touch the hem of his garment. Now, the Bible says she spent all her money on doctors and didn't do her any good. But she had heard, turn to your neighbor and say, heard what, God had, what Jesus had been doing. And she knew. Turn to your neighbor and say, she knew. You know how I know she knew? Because the scripture says so. She says, I know that if I may but touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. Everybody said, wow, that's great. And so she just walked up and touched the hem of his garment. Wasn't quite that easy. Well, it's not quite that easy because you see, the woman with the issue of blood was considered by the Jews to be totally unclean. And there was a crowd around Jesus. And so she had to push through the crowd. And as she began to push through the crowd, she began to touch people. And as she touched people, under the Jewish law, everybody that she touched then was considered unclean and could no longer go into the temple until they went through cleansing rituals. And so she's pushing through. You know why? She don't care what anybody thinks. She needs a healing. They can call her unclean as long as she wants to. She's going to touch the hem of his garment because she is convinced beyond any doubt that at the hem of his garment, there is healing right there. She touches his garment and he says, virtue. 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 has flowed out of me. This woman by her faith literally touched the essence of Jesus Christ and she knew that she would be healed. You want to move from doubt to hope? First thing you better do is read God's Word. You want to know how to move from hope to believing? You better have God look through your life and make sure that you don't have unforgiveness. You want to move from, from believing to knowing, then you better just feed on His Word and on His blood. And every time you're not sure whether you've forgiven somebody, you carry it to the throne of grace. You've been listening to Sunday Sermons from Southside Christian Fellowship Church, a place where you are loved, accepted, and received, a place of healing, a place of prayer, a place of hope. We invite you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday. For service times, location, and other information about the church, 
please visit our website at southsidechristianfellowship.net. Again, that's southsidechristianfellowship.net. As we wrap up today's message, we would like to once again thank you for listening. We would like to also have Papa Herman, an elder at Southside, to speak a Father's blessing over you. May the Lord bless and keep you, that He would cause His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, that the Lord would lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you His peace. And remember that the Lord's favor is with you all the time. Expect it. It is with you. It's manifesting itself to you. It will overtake you no matter where you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.